Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm the Irish Bump Machine, John Finnegan. And I'm Bubba Shane Dudley. Welcome to episode 178, Holiday Hell 1995. The The New New York York Invasion. New York. New York. New York. The Big Apple. New York City. (laughs) What happened to Pennsylvania? What happened to Philly? Fuck Philly. No, don't fuck Philly. Just Philly, it's not you, it's me. Take a break. <laughs> yeah, just let it down gently. We can still be friends. So this was the third annual Holiday Hill, produced by ECW. It would take place on December 29th, 1995, from the Lost Battalion Hall in Rego Park, Queens, New York City, New York, with an attendance of 1,000. 283 people. Wow, this uh, high school gym has a few extra seats. Yeah, dude. Just a few. Nice. That's, that's fine. That, that's fine, yeah, absolutely. You get, a, you know, an extra, you know, 120 uh, tickets or so. Makes up for the traveling costs. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's not super far. It's only about 200 miles. It didn't fly or anything. No, it, that's definitely a... Yeah, it's definitely a driver. A drive after the show, back home. But we're not in Philly, guys. We are not in Philly. So that probably made Shane very happy. Yeah. It did. I'm, uh... I mean, second ECW show we've watched not in Philly. Out of all of the ones. Out of all of the ones. Not just like the last two. Yeah. Out of of all the ones. Out of all the ones. Out of all the 78 episodes of our ECW podcast. (laughs) Feels that way sometimes. (laughs) Feels that way sometimes. Soon it'll just feel like a WWE with all the Raws that we'll watch. Yeah. Oh, brother. Hey, it's... The Attitude Era is coming, brother. It's history. Gotta gotta watch it. It's coming. It's coming. When it shows up, we're gonna be excited, and then we're gonna be like... Uh. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe it'll be exciting the whole time. But are we excited about this delectable delight? I'm excited uh, for that Shane brought us. Oh yeah, of course, always. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's not bad. <laughs> Tell us what it is. Yes. <laughs> He's really not stoked on this one. We're in we're in Queens, so I did as I do, where I looked up what are some foods, what are some drinks. Found out that there is a cocktail named after the borough itself called the Queen's Cocktail. As it states on my little note here, it's a New York City cocktail named after one of the five distinct boroughs. The Queen's Cocktail is an easy-to-make and easier-to-enjoy beverage with a unique profile of flavors. Similar to another cocktail called the Bronx, the Queen's Cocktail is said to have first been poured in the late 19th or early 20th century as a creative twist on a gin martini. The beverage is a prime choice for those who have a sweet tooth with classical versions mixing pineapple or even orange juice with uh, sweet vermouth. This one here is 
a mixture of dry gin, dry vermouth, sweet vermouth, and pineapple juice. It's it's a little heavy on the pineapple. It's got some floral notes to it. I definitely had worse, but I've had better. It's it's not bad. It's just, or I should say, it's good, not great. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm kind of just drinking pineapple. Yes. Then it has like a. Do you ever chew on a pencil? It I'm embarrassing like to say yes. I painty, have chewed on a woody pencil. taste after just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just something in the in the back of it that's just kind of like. Yep. I I don't know. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> So yeah, chew, chewing on a Ticonderoga. Try something new. I'm not normally a gin person, anyways. But no, I me neither. This was an interesting assortment. So what the hell? We'll try it. Yeah, it's cheap, so why not? I'm good. I'm good for it. It's for always a... it's always fun to try new things. Exactly. Yeah, like a summer GNT. You can do a summer. That's nice. I mean, a Philly show in New York. Why not? New stuff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, ECW's trying something new. They're going to Queens. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. I got 120-ish more people. We've had blood on the last two shows. Do you think we'll have it at... I can almost guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're on the road. If if these New York fans uh, don't get blood, uh, they're probably going to be pretty upset. They're on a holiday in hell. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as this show... Actually, this very same day, a trio of films would be released to the theater. Twelve Monkeys. Ah, oh, Terry it. Gilliam. Dead Man Walking. Loved it. And Mr. Holland's Opus. Loved it. Saw Mr. Holland's Opus in the theater with my grandma, and all I remember is that it made me sad. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't... I, something about his kid's deaf. Maybe he goes deaf and has a kid. I don't know. It's been a long time. I only saw it the one time in the theater. It's kid's death, and he just wants the attention that his music teacher dad gives to his student to be mm. given to him. Until one day, his dad finally plays a song Beautiful, 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 beautiful boy. Allowed him to hear the music. Okay. Yeah. That what? was his opus. What? Oh, why don't I know Dead Man Walking? Sean Penn, Susan Sarandon, Oscar. He's a prisoner. She won Best Actress Oscar for really? it. He was nominated for Best Actor. It was nominated for Best Picture. I think. Sounds cool. I like uh, I like Susan Sarandon quite a bit. I like Sean Penn at times. Yeah, I made the mistake of watching Dead Man Walking and Leaving Las Vegas in the same night, back to back. And you were bummed out. Yes. Well, I threw in there also because I was working at Blockbuster at the time, and uh, the movie. Like it's you could watch those at Blockbuster. <laughs> Well, no, he just got free rentals because. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, gotcha. you just, yeah, you weren't you weren't watching them afterward. Yeah, and they came out around the same time, so I watched Leaving Las Vegas, Dead Man Walking, and It's My Party, which is like a a story about a guy who is having like a a farewell party for himself because he's dying of AIDS. So he. Oh Jesus! Yeah, so it was like I watched this. Movie about a guy that's drinking himself to death, a movie about a guy on death row, and then a movie about a guy that's, you know, having a party to celebrate his death. And yeah, it was a very dark day. <laughs> the uh, But all are great movies on this list here. Absolutely. You know what's crazy about the uh, Leaving Las Vegas? The guy that wrote the novel, he was also an alcoholic, so that, you know, well, you know a little bit of art imitating life. Oh, yeah. He... Uh, 
killed himself on April 10th, 94, two weeks after learning that his novel was going to be made into a movie. Poetic. Yeah. Real sad <laughs> shit. So, you know, just to bring it down, because we're talking about sad movies. <laughs> yeah. Although, 12 Monkeys is a dystopian, like, uh, weird sci-fi Terry Gilliam movie. One of the better... Ten- oh, fucking great. One of the better Terry Gilliam movies, and I'm a Terry Gilliam fan. Yeah, it's probably my favorite Terry... I mean, we're not including the Monty Python, because no. he, yeah, that's he directed them, but he didn't direct them. I mean, yeah, those are, uh, those are Monty Python movies. Like, yeah. yeah he, but, you know, what he learned there... I'm sure helped him uh, into his more artistic foray into uh, weirdo movies. Yeah. Yeah, and this one, Bruce Willis, mm-hmm. Madeline Stowe. Yeah. And then Brad Pitt, yeah. Oscar nominated. I mean, Time Bandits might be the only one that comes close to. Yes. I'm that a, was the one I was trying to think of. Two, 12 Monkeys. The name hadn't come to mind I'm yet. A, I'm a Brazil guy. Yeah, I know you and, love the Brazil. And I love uh, Fisher King as well. Well, I mean, I like a lot of his movies, but I haven't watched 12 Monkeys in a really, really long time, so it's due for a rewatch, whereas I've Never watched... watched the show. I'm kind of curious about that. Oh, there is a show. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah. Just, I'd have to rewatch the movie anyways, just so I could re-familiarize, because it's been more than a few years, but yeah, I wonder if it's mimicking the, sh- the uh, movie at all, or if it takes its own path altogether. Yeah. So we got a crazy, uh, like sci-fi dystopian movie a a adult drama and then a uh, melancholy mom drama right only we're missing is the comedy although uh i mean the kid's deaf that's (laughs) that's just a horrible joke (laughs) i thought it was really good Uh, but Dota was fully deserving of the oscar win this Mm -hmm. year damn it fucking great but uh, that'll make you cry your ass off yeah yeah, Dead Man Walking, great movie. Mr. Holland's Opus. I kind of, kind of wish he would have won the Oscar instead of Nicolas Cage, but I, I'm a toss up there because Nicolas Cage was great in Leaving Las Vegas as well. Brad Pitt should have won the Oscar for Twelve Monkeys, but that means that what's his name, Kevin Spacey, would not have won. So. Again, I don't know if that would have been a bad thing. I mean, looking back, it's yeah. probably probably not a bad thing, <laughs> yeah. but at the time, yeah. Hey, I mean, you know. Kaiser Soze was a, a very intense part of movie history, but as is most anything, Brad Pitt. Well, let's talk some holiday hell, guys. Woo! We get the date and location before the title screen, and then we get shots of New York City with rabid fans chanting, "EC Dub." EC dub. That shot of the city looks like it's just pulled from one of the SNL intros. Uh, like I think it, I feel like they, I think they just like freeze framed it and like picked it and, and just like superimposed it in. I got a kick out of it. I was like, this looks like SSX. <laughs> it looks like the like from <laughs> SNL like in the nineties. Uh, but I got a kick out of that. Joey Styles is in the ring. Oh my god. We're in New York City! New York City! That's the way to open the show, right? With an oh my god. Back outside the building, Sandman spits some beer on fans before yelling, New York City! Back in the ring, Paul Heyman has joined Joey. And he says, welcome to New fucking York. I'm like, they were already there. They actually should be welcoming you, Paul. But, yeah, whatever. You're welcoming us to the show. 
You then get the opening video package with highlights of our competitors before the logo. Styles then welcomes everyone to the show when Stevie Richards and the Blue Meanie interrupt. And the fans do not like them at all. Nope. And Joey accuses them of stealing the spotlight. Stevie got his hair did too. It's a little fancier than the last time I saw him. Mm-hmm. He got he got edged got up. Shawn Michaels just out of the rockers look going. Oh on. yeah, a little feathery. Yeah. Stevie says all the TV and pay-per-view executives are there to see him and starts to insult the fans when he spots a lovely lady in the crowd. It's Missy Hyatt! What, what, what? I know, I was like, oh, Missy, where have you been? We haven't seen her since Starcade 93, Ooh. episode 107. We thought Starcade killed you off like it did most everybody else. The trio then head out of the ring to where she's standing, where Richard says he knows who she is, and she can tell everyone exactly who he is. Which she does, calling him a clueless putz. Stevie then asks her if she got the letter he sent her, because you know he's a big fan, before inviting her to his limo after the show, only for her to laugh in his face. Richard then says he will get her a date with Raven. And that changes her mood. Takes her jacket off to show off her perfect matches. And starts to make out with Stevie. Missy tells him to give that to Raven. When Joey chimes in that he knows Raven too. (laughs) Which might be the best line ever. Yeah, Yeah. very fun. (laughs) But that sends us to our first match. Koji Nakagawa versus Taz with Bill Alfonso. I don't have a whistle. <laughs> that was close enough. Yeah. So Koji is from FMW and is inspired by Brett the Hitman Hart at this point, which is why he was all in pink trunks. Mm. Doing a Hitman gimmick, basically. Right. But I have a fun note about this gentleman because this is probably the only time we will ever see him. And this story is like I read it and I was just like, Blew my mind a little bit. All right. I'm ready. So, in 2000, he changes his gimmick to be named Goemon, which is a dark thief character based on the historic Japanese thief. He would feud with another gentleman named Onru, who was a ghost wrestler. He had a pale face and clothes that would release ashes with each movement. He also elements of his of his gimmick included the ability to turn invisible and disappear. Okay? I'm listening. Okay. In this Goemon Onru feud, an item called the Belt of Curse was introduced and would be put on the line. The Belt of Curse is what originally turned Onru into a ghost as it had slowly killed him as he held it. It's like a... Uh, like a... Lord of the Rings kind of thing. So our two gentlemen would face off and Goemon would lose and would be handcuffed to the belt and it would start to slowly kill him, weakening him, making him cough up blood during matches. With great responsibility comes a potential for invisibility. Goemon (laughs) would then eventually die after bleeding out but we return as a ghost as well, becoming Anru's tag team partner. Holy crap. <laughs> this is so stupid, I love it. 
Right? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought too. And I read the, this. the long-term, long-term storytelling here. Yeah. What promotion was this? Do you know? FMW. Oh, FMW. Okay, that makes uh, <laughs> some sense. But that feels like a like I guess it's kind of extreme version of like DDT. It's like oh, it's yeah. comedy, but it's also spooky. And we know that like Japanese have a a bunch of ghosts, good and bad, and a different and a lot of folklore. So I'm sure that it was uh, not lost on their uh, audience. Kind of wonder so, pretty what their tag team name was if they were just going on and on route <laughs> or. If there's some Japanese ghost squad or something, or if that's like uh, like the Goemon and Anru thing is part of the folklore and they just acted it out plus wrestling, this is pretty interesting. I wonder if there's if any of this is available. I don't I'm know how interested in that than I thought I was gonna be. Yeah, me too. Matt was like, "Hey, <laughs> check a look at this one." <laughs> so I was like, I was reading this. I'm just like. What? So many twists and turns. The uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much FMW is available on tape or anything. I really don't know. I never looked into it. But enough about going on. I mean, I'm so intrigued. Bill takes the mic to say he doesn't need an introduction, but Joel Gertner makes one anyway. Alfonso then slaps Nakagawa before Taz shoves him. So Koji comes back with a slap to the human suplex machine. Which just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Taz hits a judo hip toss and a German suplex Nasty. before tossing Nakagawa out to the floor, where Bill is just yelling at him. And the crowd's yelling at Bill some, you know, not some nice stuff. The human suplex machine drags Koji back into the ring where he delivers right hands, only for Nakagawa to fight back with chops and drop kicks that do absolutely nothing to Taz. So Koji just gets nailed with a belly-to-belly suplex and multiple Tazplexes. The human suplex machine then locks on the Taz mission for the submission and, and no win. win. I don't want to be a ghost too if I was just drop kicking Taz and nothing happened. I'd be like, well, I guess I don't even. I don't. Invisible. I guess I am. <laughs> Post match, Taz keeps the hold on until Fonzie tells him to release it. He then tosses Nakagawa out of the ring. While Bill takes the mic, threatening to stay in the ring all night long. That no one in New York or in the WWF can beat Taz. The human suplex machine then takes the mic and starts insulting the fans. Telling him he makes more money in one night than they make in a month. Before telling them to fuck off. I love that he's like, yeah, he says, let's let me know. He's like, you're calling for a Sabu, right? Uh, but that pussy's in the back, hiding under a table. We then go to our second match. The Italian Stallion, J.T. Smith, versus Hack Myers. Shot! And we haven't seen either one of these guys since Gangsta's Paradise, episode 166. And they start off with some back-and-forth action until the crowd starts chanting that... JT's got a boner. JT's got a boner. Maybe he's just packing heat. Which causes even Hack to laugh in the ring. Yeah, JT uh, plays it up and like goes to the corner and like, you know. Yeah, tries to like, you know, <laughs> hide, hide his erection. The two then trade punches and kicks while the crowd chants Shaw for Hack and shit for Smith. JT then uses a low blow to take control, tossing Myers out to the floor where Smith body slams him. 
before climbing to the top turnbuckle. JT then lands a flying headbutt before rolling Hack back into the ring, where Smith body slams him again, followed by a handspring splash and a powerbomb for a two count. JT starts to head up top again, only this time he slips and falls, landing on his head. Ah, he fucked up. Allowing Myers to take advantage with a top rope face buster for the pin and, and the win. win. Is this going to be the end to the Italian Stallion? I mean, he landed on his head. Is it going to be reversed? Like, maybe he's going to be regular JT Smith. Maybe he'll be a ghost. <laughs> As if he wasn't already. That's just gonna. That's just gonna like be our. Uh, I'm sorry. Our, book, our booking decision for everything. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe he'll come back. As a instead guess. of like, instead of, and that's the last time that we next, saw Paul Orndorff. Be like, and Paul Orndorff became a ghost. <laughs> next T-shirt. Next T-shirt. <laughs> he turns into a ghost. We then go to our third match: Mikey Whipwreck versus Two Gold. Scorpio. Oh my. For the ECW World Television and ECW World Tag Team Championships. I'm not gonna lie. Two Gold Scorpio. I dig that name a whole lot better than Becky Two Belts. Yeah, Two Gold Scorpio <laughs> is much is nicer. Yeah. Uh, it's a name perfect for having two belts. The tag title is it both of them or just his belt and now he's got. It is both of them. Oh. So it could be Mikey uh, Three Belts. I mean, he's going to choose, yeah, yeah, choose a partner. But, you know, he's going to have to walk out with all three of them. Or maybe one will be thrusted upon him. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So the two men trade holds and reversals to begin when Scorpio hits a spinning heel kick and a baseball slide to send Mikey out to the floor. Two gold follows out to send him into the guardrail and hit a clothesline before they head back into the ring. Scorpio keeps up the attack with a big boot and clubbing forearms, sending Whipwreck to the ropes, only to be surprised by a head scissors and multiple drop kicks to send two gold out to the floor. Mikey hits a baseball slide in the slingshot somersault plancha before tossing Scorpio into the guardrail. Back at the ring, Whipwreck climbs to the top and he comes off with a crossbody, but two gold just moves to avoid. Scorpio hits a knee drop and looks for a powerbomb, only for Mikey to flip out of it and deliver a monkey flip. We see Missy Hyatt watching on, but when we come back, Two Gold has wrecked Mikey's balls with a kick. Aww, that was Mikey's. Scorpio with a knee lift and a gut wrench powerbomb, and he makes a cover, but decides it's not enough punishment. (sighs) Two Gold then hits a tombstone piledriver and heads up top for a moonsault. He makes the cover, but again, gets up. Scorpio continues with a body slam, a power bomb, and a moonsault leg drop, but he still wants to deliver more. Moonsault leg drop, pretty cool. I think he just over-rotated. I think so, I, but it does. it's like a cool idea, but like, yeah, the leg, it's like, oh man. A neat idea. Two Gold then nails a super kick before spitting on Whipwreck, heading up top again, only for Mikey to meet him there to crotchy and deliver a super Franken Mikey for a near fall. Whipwreck's whip is reversed with Scorpio charging in with a splash, but Mikey moves out of the way, rolling up Two Gold for a two count. 
Whipwreck's unloading with left hands, and the ref tries to get in there to stop with the closed fists. When Scorpio kicks Mikey away, taking Whipwreck and the ref down. Ref bump. Two Gold then climbs to the top turnbuckle, coming off with a splash. But Mikey is moved, causing the ref to take the blow. Ref bump. Super kick by Scorpio, and he goes up top again for another splash. But there's no ref to make a count. Backbreaker, powerbomb, back to the top turnbuckle. But this time, Cactus Jack has run down and knocks two gold down. Jack then jumps in the ring, hitting a double-arm DDT, placing Whipwreck on top for the pin and, and the win. win. And new! Post-match, Cactus Jack picks Mikey up and is hugging him. And Whipwreck has no clue what's going on. <laughs> I mean, you gotta beat down pretty hard. Jack grabs the other tag belt, so I guess he wants to be Mikey's tag team partner. Alright. But Whipwreck's like, I don't want that. So he hands the tag title back to Scorpio. <laughs> Cactus Jack attacks too cold once again with a clothesline that sends them both over to the floor. Before jumping back in the ring to celebrate. Even with Mikey not really liking it. <laughs> this is the second time that Mikey and Cactus Jack have been tag team partners. And not really because Mikey wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, he's like... The first uh, time, Cactus just kind of threw Mikey around. Yeah. This time, Whipwreck's a little bit more established. Kind of a star now. Kind of a star in all the bingo halls. Championship... We then go to our fourth match. The Eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus with Jason versus the Pitbulls of number one and number two with Francine. So number one and Saturn start us off with Perry hitting a Northern Light suplex for a two count. But he then charges into a big boot and a clothesline before receiving a snap suplex for a near fall. Number two and Cronus then come in to trade strikes, before number two delivers a power slam, but John comes right back with a dragon suplex. Number two hits a drop kick and goes to run the ropes, only for Saturn to distract him, allowing Cronus to attack from behind. The Eliminators with a double team headbutt, Perry with a spinning kick and a springboard clothesline that sends number two to the floor, followed by a helping hand from John to moonsault over the ropes onto number two. Old, old PB2, a nice uh, catch and protection of, uh, of Saturn on the way down. Professional. Number two basically no-sells the move, so Jason grabs hold of him, allowing Perry to leap off the top turnbuckle with a clothesline, only for number two to move, forcing the sexiest man on earth to take the blow. Take that, Jason. Right. But then Cronus comes flying out onto number two, only for number one to show up with multiple chair shots for everybody. Frying pans, clotheslines, back elbows, cookie sheets, guardrails, ring posts, toilet brushes are all some of the things that are used to bust open the eliminators. And this is a good toilet brush to the face. Damn right. <laughs> Back in the ring, number one with an arm wrench heel kick, a drop toe hold, followed by number two coming in with a flying elbow drop on Saturn. Number two then gets neutered with a low blow, 
allowing Cronus to come in with a body slam and a handspring splash for a two count. I mean, Cronus did a handspring splash. He's been watching his Muda, guys. He weighs two Mudas. <laughs> John continues with a back suplex, only for number two to no-sell once again, allowing the Pitbulls to deliver a double-team back suplex, with number one making a jackknife pin for a near fall. Pitbull 2 has been uh, watching the Road Warrior <laughs> matches. <laughs> Number 1 has his whip attempt reversed, but he avoids a charging Cronus, nailing a hip toss for a two count, before applying a chin lock and transitioning it into an arm breaker. The Pitbulls then team up with a double clothesline, but John hits another low blow to number 2, allowing him to make a tag so the Eliminators can hit a double team kick. Saturn misses a clothesline, so number two picks him up for a tombstone pile driver. He goes to run the ropes, only for Jason to trip him up. Number two then drags the sexiest man on earth up to the apron, only for Perry to kick him from behind, sending number two out to the floor. Saturn whips number two into a Jason clothesline before rolling back into the ring to deliver a total elimination. Cronus with a body slam and he comes off the second rope with a moonsault for a near fall. And then he goes up top for a splash for a two count. John with a rolling Samoan drop, followed by Perry coming in off the top with a frog splash for a near fall. Saturn hits a tiger bomb and taunts number one to bring him into the ring to cause the distraction, so that Jason can hit a centon splash off the shoulders of Cronus. But number two, again... No sells a move, <laughs> forcing the sexiest man on earth to bail out to the floor. Perry attacks from behind with a clothesline, followed by the Eliminators hitting a vertical suplex crossbody combo from the top rope for a two count. The Eliminators with another combo, this time of a backbreaker knee drop, before Saturn hits a body slam and a flying elbow drop. But again, number two no-sells it. <laughs> so God. the Eliminators hit a clothesline sandwich to take him down. Perry tosses number two the ropes, only for them to both hit clotheslines for a double KO. Number two then crawls his way to the corner for the hot tag. Number one's laying everybody out with right hands when Jason would grab him from behind, allowing Saturn to go for a clothesline, only for number one to move causing the sexiest man on earth to take the blow. Number two press slams Perry over the ropes onto Jason, while number one inside cradles Cronus, only for the ref to be distracted by what number two just did. Damn it, number two. The Pitbulls hit a whip-aided spinning wheel kick, followed by a belly-to-belly -belly suplex on John, followed up with a double-team clothesline on Saturn, a heart attack to Cronus to send all of them over the ropes to the floor. The Pitbulls then climb back into the ring to deliver a super bomb to Perry, where they make the cover, but Jason is still distracting the ref. Franstein starts attacking the sexiest man on earth, which brings number one down to the floor to help with a vertical suplex onto the timekeeper's table, allowing the Eliminators to hit total elimination on number two for the pin and, and the win. win. Yeah, the bell rings, but you don't actually see the pin in the ring. <laughs> but hey, you know, whatever. They still still win over um, Pitbull 2, who no-sold everything they did. Yeah. 
I'm surprised he took the total elimination. Tommy Dreamer then makes his way to the ring for his match with Raven. But only Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, and Beulah come out. Mm-hmm. Gertner even starts making the announcements, saying there are no countouts or disqualifications, with the winner facing Sandman later in the evening for the world title. When Stevie takes the mic and says Raven won't wrestle tonight, as he broke his um, um, leg. Yeah, that, that's what's wrong with him. Before telling Dreamer he has to face the meanie instead. Tommy calls it all bullshit, insulting Raven, as Blue Meanie attacks him, leading us to our fifth match. Tommy Dreamer versus the Blue Meanie with Stevie Richards and Beulah. And Meanie attempts a backdrop, only for Tommy to counter it into a DDT. For the pin! And the win! Post-match, Stevie then attacks Dreamer, so we get our sixth match. Tommy Dreamer versus Stevie Richards with Blue Meanie and Beulah. Stevie's hitting forearms, sending Tommy to the ropes, only for him to come back with a leaping DDT. For the pin! And the win! Post-match, Beulah jumps in the ring. (laughs) So Dreamer grabs her and looks to attempt a pile driver. When Raven would throw some ring steps into the ring at him. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they were ring steps or it looked like a tea cart. <laughs> it was very <laughs> funny. But he, he puts up for that pile driver, uh, let's say, politely, laces out. <laughs> like, it is uh, just an excuse to uh, see her uh, panties. And that's when he knew we lived there. <laughs> <laughs> but that leads us into our seventh match. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven with Stevie Richard, Blue Meanie, and Beulah in a number one contenders match. It's all escalated quickly. (laughs) Raven uses the steps some more before tossing Tommy to the floor where he whips Dreamer hard enough into the guardrail to bend them. More guardrails followed by putting Tommy through a table with a Piscato. Back in the ring, Raven hits some headbutts and chokes until Dreamer begins to fire up with right hands, nailing multiple DDTs on Raven and Stevie who have jumped into the ring. Raven's tossed out to the floor where Tommy uses weapons such as a chair, a cheese grater, the toilet brush, it's a, return. a boom box, toilet brush to the nuts, cheese grater a, cuts him open, and a trash can lid that all bust Raven open. They go into the crowd momentarily, but then Dreamer drags Raven out of the building where they fight in the snow, which busts Tommy open. Yeah, he like uh, they go out to the snow, hit each other, and then Raven like either whips or reverse whips Tommy just like into the wall of the building or the concrete, like the brick wall of the building, yeah. and then they go right back in. They brought their way back to the ring where Dreamer goes low before trying for a leaping forearm, only for Raven to move, causing Tommy to take out the ref. Ref bump. Raven grabs hold of Dreamer. While Beulah comes in the ring with a can of hairspray. Only for Tommy to move when she starts spraying. So Raven gets blinded instead. She's got that uh, new school atomizer. Raven comes in to check on Raven. But the blind DDT Stevie by accident. Followed by Dreamer hitting a DDT on Raven. For a near fall. Tommy then places Raven in a tree of woe. To deliver mounted punches to the balls. 
before grabbing a piece of the broken table to set in the ring so that he can pile drive Raven onto it. Yeah, he like just takes a... It looks like they cut it previously, but it is from the table they broke, but it just looks like they cut it perfectly. Maybe it was scored really well, but they he just sets it on the bottom rope. Little, looks like a little uh, backyard yeah, bicycle ramp, yeah. <laughs> Tommy has a fan throw him a chair where he, before whipping Raven to a corner, following in with a chair-aided splash, only for Raven to pull the ref into the path to knock him down. Ref, pop, I mean, how many times can we say it, folks? Richards jumps in the ring to hit a Stevie kick, but the ref's still out, so there's no count. Richards then orders Blue Meanie to the top for a moonsault, only for Dreamer to move, but he walks right into a Raven DDT onto the chair for the pin and the win. Post-match, Stevie's jumping for joy while Raven stumbles his way to the back. So, Raven's our number one contender. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes he is. That was a lot. It it definitely was a lot. At least it happened quickly. Absolutely. We go to our eighth match. El Puerto Riquano versus Bruiser Mastino. And the last time we saw Bruiser was at Royal Rumble 95, episode 141, when he was Mantar. Oh, he's Mantar. Hmm. What? Did you not get that from the crowd yelling Mantar at him? I couldn't hear them sometimes. It's rough on those uh, ECW audio, but... That's funny, and I wish I had. I also noticed that maybe towards the back of the, like, where the wrestlers are coming out of the back, there's a very large man, a man of large carriage. Is that uh, Big Val? It that, like, I'm pretty sure that's Big Val, because that's a big boy. Uh, with, well, let's uh, not have him return. I mean, I don't think he's he's not on this show. But I was just like, <laughs> Big Val getting the, the you know, the $50 uh, security job. Was it Big Val, or was it the, uh... Sal Balamo? No, the the big guy that knew Jack. Oh. It wasn't Mass Transit. No, Mass, Mass Transit was just a local talent. Okay. Or whatever. You know, that hadn't happened yet. No, no. That yeah. No, 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 that's just not, that's not even... Was Mass it Transit, that one night? Totally not a real wrestler. <laughs> yeah, it was just one night. He was somebody that hung around. No, no. Nah, he was just like a, a kid that they needed to have for a match. Because somebody wasn't able to, yeah, wasn't him. Probably Sabu hiding under a table somewhere, right? Yeah, and when and New Jack decided to uh, macho man somebody <laughs> that is never never sniffed the feet of Ric Flair. So Quano sticks and moves, hitting a drop kick, multiple right hands, and a clothesline, but nothing is getting Bruiser down until he trips him up from behind and walking on his back. Mastino responds with a clothesline, a vertical suplex, a belly-to-belly suplex, and starts choking El Puerto. Bruiser then misses a corner splash, so Requano comes off the top with a missile dropkick from every corner, before trying for a flying crossbody, only to be caught and dropped with a power slam, for the pin, and and the win. Do you think he's just, like, able to come in and get... He was Mantar. It's like that he just gets to come here and smash a guy that is obviously a better, more capable worker off of being Mantar. Let's see what happens. Post-match, Mastino gives several more power slams, 
So the fans start chanting for 911. Uh oh. And they get their wish as he arrives, shoving Bruiser. 911 shakes off some punches and delivers a choke slam, followed by Bill Alfonso showing up with whistle blowing, saying he banned the choke slam and shoves 911. Bad idea. Todd Gordon then runs down to attack Fonzie when Taz shows up to stop that. Only for 911 to grab Bill for a choke slam. So the human suplex machine has to stop that as well. Mastino attacks 911 from behind, so he gets another choke slam as Taz and 911 then stare each other down. Taz is not afraid of 911. Wrestlers from the back begin to fill the ring to break them apart. There's a first time for everything, folks. Only for 911 to just start choke slamming anyone that gets in his way while Gordon and Fonzie go back to brawling as well. Taz ends up pulling Bill out of the ring to head to the back, while more people, such as J.T. Smith, get chokeslammed. Everyone is now out of the ring, except for Stevie Richards, the Blue Meanie, Sign Guy Dudley, and Dances with Dudley. And they all start dancing. Sometimes you gotta bust a move. Which brings out Bubba and the rest of the Dudley clan. See the Dudley 316 sign? Still pre-Austin. I need a 30-for-30 30 30 on the 316 uh, pre-Austin. Bubba Ray shows them all how to dance right in Blue Meanie's face before slapping him. Stevie then grabs a mic telling Bubba that Raven and he are not happy with him. Because at this point, Dudleys were technically still part of the nest. That's yeah, right. it's a deep nest, sir. There's a new Dudley every show. Bubba Ray stutters his way through his name when Richard slaps him, followed by telling him that he has to beat the meanie or Raven will fire him. Bubba Ray t- tells Stevie, fuck you and your blue meanie, which causes the blue meanie to attack from behind and lead us to our ninth match. Bubba Ray Dudley with the Dudleys versus the blue meanie with Stevie Richards. Fuck him up, Bubba. Fuck him up. Meanie actually hits the moonsault. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only for Bubba Ray to power out and go for a Bubba bomb. But Big Dick Dudley smacks him in the head with his crutch to remind him that the blue Meanie is too heavy. <laughs> so Bubba Ray then body slams Meanie before going up top for a flying headbutt. For the pin. And the win. Post-match, the Dudleys continued to attack the Blue Meanie with a choke slam, elbow drops, and a flying splash. Stevie then grabs the mic and he's just trying to joke it all off like... This guy knew you could do it. Yeah, I knew you could do it. Because he loves Big Dick. The Dudleys are great. Even, yeah, loving Big Dick. Uh, uh, And then the crowd chants, which I think is, Oh, Stevie, you're so fine. Uh, You're so fine, you suck Big Nine. They have some very, like, wildly, um, I don't know if creative is the right word, but, like... a long chance. Yeah, there's a lot of weird long chants in this show, and that was one that I was, like, trying to figure out. It's like, suck what? And I was like, all I could come up with was Big Nine. I was like, I don't know. Because it had to rhyme, and either way. Richards continues... Richards continues telling telling the Dudleys... Meanie doesn't mean anything to me, guys. But the Dudleys... Don't believe him at all. No. So they just wave him off and leave the ring. But once they're gone, 
Stevie hugs Blue Meanie. Oh yeah, he does really actually. It's, it's very like, very cartoony. He, yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it. But we go to our tenth match, the Sandman with Woman versus Raven with Stevie Richard and Beulah for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. The champion comes out first. Foreshadowing. Or just the longest interest ever. Gotta have it's a It's long. Hey, Joey lets us know this is a first-time matchup. A protected match. As Gertner's making his announcement, Stevie grabs the belt and poses with it, but hands it back as soon as the Sandman notices. Sandman then takes a swig of beer and spits it in Richard's face. So Stevie responds by grabbing a beer himself, taking a drink, but he he doesn't like that taste at no, all. No. All the while, Raven is just chilling, sitting on the mat in the corner. As Sandman starts to finish off his beer, Raven attacks, stomping and choking away on the Sandman before tossing him out to the floor. Sandman's tossed into multiple guardrails until he can reverse a whip that ends up sending Raven into the crowd. You see the guy with the amazing airbrush t-shirt that's just a face of woman, Nancy Sullivan? I did not. It's a pretty great shirt. It's just a giant, like, airbrush t-shirt. It's just woman's face. It was great. It was done well. Sounds... Sounds nice. Yeah, it was just... I was like, oh, where the hell did he get this? Raven returns and goes for a DDT. But Sandman blocks, allowing him to hit an elbow drop and a not-so-rubber band slam across the guardrail. Followed by a guillotine leg drop from the apron. Raven hits a low blow before they return to the ring to keep up the attack, only for Sandman to nail him with a back elbow to slow the momentum. Sandman then goes for an elbow drop, only for Raven to move and hit a snap suplex for a two count. But Sandman comes right back with a running forearm and tossing Raven out to the floor. Sandman dumps Raven into the first row pulling the guardrail closer to the ring to give him room to leap over the ropes because he knows he can't leap with his cane in hand onto Raven. And then he looks at the camera and says, you gotta keep him separated. And I was like, what, were you just listening to uh, Smash? on Raven's music. Oh. We don't get, we never hear it. It makes more sense now. Why does he come out to something, he wears like ministry t-shirts and then comes out to the offspring, which is like kid music. That's funny. That's very I'm, funny. I'm pretty sure. It would make sense, because I was confused. I was like, was he just jamming Smash on the way up here? That's <laughs> I feel like Raven it's should be coming out to something more morose. <clears throat> I'll be very disappointed to hear that Raven came out to the offspring. That's such a terrible choice. Everclear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least Everclear's songs are about being sad that you don't have a dad. Which uh, totally fits the, like stereotype of Raven's uh, attire and mood. Yeah, come out and play. Keep them separated. Oh my gosh. Raven, get a new song. Raven's rolled back into the ring, so Sandman tries for a slingshot senton. Only for Raven to roll out to the floor. So Sandman then tries for a slingshot plancha, which lands. Sandman suplexes the timekeeper's table onto Raven. But a low blow puts Raven back in control setting the table up on the guardrail, only for Sandman to reverse the whip, sending Raven through the table. He must have, you know, learned some stuff from like, old, old Cactus. 
Samban smushes Raven in between the table before coming off the apron with an elbow drop that Raven avoids. They head back into the ring where Sandman whips Raven from corner to corner until they both go for clotheslines that ends up knocking out the ref as well. Ref bump. For the triple KO. Yeah, did you guys notice that Sandman looks like he got a little thinner? So he's trimmed up a little bit? I thought that, but maybe he's switched to light beer. I'm thinking that maybe he's uh, switched to nose candy. That could be. He might have. Maybe uh, Paulie's paying at the moment. I mean, they are in New York. They're partying. Stevie gets in the ring and jumps on the back of Sandman. So Woman enters as well to cane Richards. She also canes Raven only for him to just absorb the blows, stealing the cane away, allowing Sandman to attack from behind. But Stevie comes back with a wet floor sign to the head of Sandman. Raven is now caning Sandman. And Richards is helping as well. When Tommy Dreamer would roll into the ring, grab the cane, and just nail everyone with it. Several times. You get a whooping. You get a whooping. Beulah then comes running into the ring to check on Raven. But Tommy grabs her and finally is able to deliver that pile driver. Pussy out. Before leaving to the back. I love that Tommy does this, like, the, like Goldberg-style, like, like head or like warrior head shakes when he's got her up in the pile driver. He's just like, ah. and uh, it's pretty uh, animated for Tommy Dream. Did a snipper in half. <laughs> Raven and Sandman make it back to their feet to trade strikes. When Cactus Jack would arrive to nail a double arm DDT to Sandman for the pin, and no, no Sandman kicks out. Raven then places Sandman on the top rope, but the superplex is blocked, and Sandman nails a top rope bulldog for the pin and, and the win. win. All right then, Sandman's still our champion, guys. Yeah, my my MVP was in my nickname. Before we even get there, John Finnegan. How many crazy bumps is the man gonna take? It's just a ref bump all night long, and uh, that crazy. The ending stretch of this match, he sells a ref pump for like five plus minutes. <laughs> just in the ring. Yeah. He doesn't out on the floor or anything, doesn't roll out to the floor. He was just a dead. Just dead in the ring. On his behalf, he is kind of like still like plays off being like groggy, even uh, like after the pin or whatever, but still, man, it's pretty wild. Could have been a ref. Uh huh. I could have been a ref. You could have been That's a ref. That's all it takes. Just. Oh, I fell down. Oh, I got poked in the eye, and now I have to lay here for 12 minutes while they do whatever on their side of the ring. It's all it takes in ECW. Uh, it'd be great. The money was like... He in ECW, probably not bucks. so much. Yeah, uh, you know, in other places, probably a lot better. I wonder if the Sandman would share his blow. I'm sure. Probably. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. He has He has way more energy, and his eyes are more alive than normal, and I think that... They probably got, uh, they hit up uh, the King of New York or uh, maybe a Nino Brown type guy. We then get our 11th match. Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus the Gangsters of New Jack and Mustafa Saeed. So Joey tells us this was actually originally supposed to be Public Enemy versus the Heavenly Bodies. But Tom Pritchard had totally flipped. 
mentioning fans would get the joke in a couple of weeks. Uh, flipped, does that mean he... What did they mean by that? So as mentioned on our last ECW show, mm-hmm. Dr. Tom is now part of the Body Donnas. Oh, so I knew, yeah. And his I, name I, was going to be Flip, but before mm. he appeared on TV, they had changed it to Zip. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Because I was like, Flip, I was like, oh, he went to WWF or whatever. But uh, the, uh, the Flip thing, I was like... Yeah, because I guess Skip and Flip wouldn't have been... A good sounding tag team. You would say the Donnas. Flip and Skip, Zip. Skip and Zip are so much better. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. and Zip. Yeah, yep. Zip. That's I guess that's what they thought of Doctor Tom Pritchard, but mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. He just they just asked him to shut his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Zip it. So gangsters rush the ring and they break into pairs to brawl with New Jack using a noose on Grunge, hanging him over the ropes. Rock and Saeed are in the ring as Rocco delivers a moonsault, while everyone starts using weapons on the outside on each other. Rocco flies over the ropes with a plancha on a Mustafa, while Johnny and Jack end up back in the ring with chairs and garbage pell lids, before a bulldog into a chair. Rock has gone through a table somehow, as the cameras just missed it, and everyone's busted open already. It as- took all of two and a half minutes, <laughs> Max. As New Jack rakes Grunge's head with a fork before running him into pieces of wood in a chair on the floor. That'll help it. Saeed delivers a power slam for a near fall on Rocco back inside the ring, keeping up the attack with several elbow drops until Johnny nails him with a walking cane. I swear Mustafa Ali did a moonsault, which is crazy. But it's hard to, ca- it's hard to uh, catch everything in a match like this. Rock has a frying pan to use on Jack, but New Jack comes back with a stun gun, only for Grunge to roll into the ring to hit a frying pan to the boys, followed by a shot to Mustafa as well. Public Enemy brings a table into the ring, placing Saeed onto it, followed by Rocco coming off the top with a moonsault, but the table doesn't break, so Mustafa just rolls off. (laughs) Is that what you were thinking of? No, no, no. I'm <laughs> Taking a moonsault instead yeah. of giving. No, no. I'm thinking he he I, he gave one earlier in the in the ring when uh, it was him and Rocco, I believe, in the ring, and Grunge was on the floor uh, bleeding with uh, New Jack. The, they didn't score that table. So Johnny and Jack are brawling on the floor while Saeed hits a back suplex on Rock before putting Rocco through the table somehow, as once again. The cameras missed it. Yeah, maybe it kind of looks like a Vader bomb-esque splash. Grunge comes running back into the ring with a clothesline to Mustafa for a two-count, but Saeed comes back with a body slam on Johnny, only for them to then miss a knee drop. Public Enemy delivers a drive-by to Mustafa, but New Jack has the ref distracted, so no count is made. Rock gets up and is complaining to the ref, allowing Jack to nail him with a chair, which causes him to fall back into a Saeed roll-up. For the pin! And the win! Gangster, gangster. That's what they're yelling. It's not about a salary, it's all about reality. All this brawling and weaponry, and we get a fucking roll-up? Yeah, I mean, it was a a true garbage (laughs) match. Alright. We pumped the gangsters one. Yeah, it's good to see 
someone with another than Public Enemy every once yeah, in a while. Exactly. I've had. I'm, yep. We've been pretty tired of Public Enemy. Not that the gangsters do much more, but they they're mm. obviously cooler. They got they like look cooler and they look meaner and they don't dance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Public Enemy have like a going away party match thing where they were supposed? That's to not be until House Party '96. Oh, okay. Damn it! I got all excited. That's our next ECW show. Yeah, oh. I got all excited. I thought they were done after that last one. <laughs> Have you seen House Party 96 before? No. Oh. How do you know that? On the last show, they were talking about their oh. farewell from ECW, so I thought that meant that this would be since a... they were featured so much in that show that they were going to be done. But I mean, they're featured, been featured a little too much mm-hmm. for quite a while. Yeah. I guess that's why we brought in the Eliminators. We need a, we need a tag team to fill... The whole the public enemy will leave. I don't the know. to eliminate the enemy. We then go to our 12th match. Cactus Jack versus Sabu. <sighs> Cactus Jack won half of the new tag team champion. That's, that's right. And, uh, you know, kind of getting in everybody's mess tonight with uh, double arm DDTs uh, multiple times in multiple different matches. Hey, don't come extreme if you don't expect extreme. So Jack takes the mic, saying WCW sucks, before telling the story of making a fan's dream come true. And tonight, he's going to do it. They're going to have an Olympic rules-style match. Yeah, he tells this big, long story about a fan with a broken leg or something. Well, that fan is the referee Pee-wee Moore. Oh my gosh, Pee-wee Moore. And... The ref begins to explain the rules. Basically, it's two points for a takedown, a point for escapes, stalling results in points deductions, and no strikes or weapons are allowed. <sighs> Seems like the perfect kind of match for Cactus Jack and Sabu to have, right? Yeah, I do appreciate that Jack really goes on this long diatribe that gets the crowd already annoyed before he even announces that. You get disqualified if you throw them over the top rope. Probably not, because it's just a point deduction. Yeah. So after Sabu gets in the ring, the ref is trying to explain to him what's going on. When 911 makes his way out, and he choke slams Pee-wee several times. Pee-wee, no! Before saying this isn't Olympic-style wrestling, he wants to see a fight, and he will be the ref. Yeah. So the homicidal one attacks as Pee-wee tries to get out of the ring, grabbing a chair for an air Sabu, but Jack has retreated to the floor to regroup. So the homicidal one just leaps off the chair over the ropes with a somersault plancha. Sabu, Sabu. Back in the ring, Sabu sets Cactus Jack across the ropes, allowing him to come off the top with a leg drop, followed by a springboard wheel kick. The homicidal one then grabs another chair for another attempted air Sabu only for Jack to nail him with a back elbow on his way down. Cactus Jack then grabs the chair, but he hesitates momentarily, but gives in to the urge to deliver a chair shot, before hitting a pair of double-arm DDTs, including one on the chair for a two-count. Now, this entire time, Styles has been keeping a running count, it's very as funny. if they are still an Olympic-style match. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really great work. But, I mean, it's Joey Styles. He's he's always good. Jack then sends Sabu out to the floor, 
following out with a chair-assisted elbow drop from the apron, before running him into the guardrail and biting him. Sabu then fires back with several chair shots in the aisleway before going back into the ring where Cactus Jack goes for a clothesline, only for the homicidal one to duck, causing Jack to end up with his neck stuck between the ropes. In perfect fashion. It's pretty crazy how smoothly he gets into that spot. I had to rewind it a few times. I was like, oh my gosh. I turn into uh, Joey Siles. Except for I said gosh, because I don't use the Lord's name. In vain, and Joey lets us know it's how Cactus lost in the air. Maybe he's ready to lose another one tonight. Cactus Jack gets unstuck by an air sabu before the homicidal one jumps off the apron with a chair-assisted splash, only for Jack to move, sending Sabu into the railing. Yeah, the chair and chair on his chest into the steel. It's like, ah, it's amazing Sabu. Is still alive. Is still alive. Yeah, I mean, we can say about Cactus Jack... Mick Foley all the time as well, but Sabu was, I would say, more reckless because he does flips and shit, and they're never crispy. They're always sloppy. Yeah. Jack then dumps a table onto the homicidal one before setting it up and placing Sabu onto it. Cactus Jack then heads up to the second turnbuckle, only for this homicidal one to recover for them to brawl on the apron followed by a press slam onto the floor. Jack is then set on a chair while Sabu flies to the ropes with a tope suicida onto him. Back in the ring, a snapmare and a springboard leg lariat from the homicidal one before grabbing another chair for a springboard chair-assisted leg lariat. The two brawl their way out to the apron where Cactus Jack rams Sabu's head into the turnbuckle only for the homicidal one to retaliate with a mule kick, followed by leaping off a chair over the ropes with a crossbody that sends them both through the table. And they did the table thing pretty wonderfully considering, because the whole point is you set it up and then you want to forget about it. Yep. I totally forgot about it. So I'm giving them their flowers. Uh, that I totally forgot about the table, and then when they went through it, it was a surprise. And I was like, oh... They make it back into the ring where Jack goes for an inside cradle for a near fall. But Sabu comes right back with more chair offense, including an Arabian press onto Cactus Jack's face. Jack is just pissed off at this point, laying it in with kicks, turnbuckle smashes, and he goes for a leg drop, only for the homicidal one to move, allowing him to go to the top rope, where Cactus Jack catches up with him. But Sabu hits him with a chair in hand, to knock him down. The crowd's uh, hot for Sabu, which is, though, I feel like the whole point of this show is to just bring Sabu up even higher. The homicidal one with a couple of more chair shots to the head before delivering an atomic Arabian face buster for a near fall. Jack then goes for a body slam, but Sabu holds onto the ropes, causing him to fall on top of Cactus Jack. For the pin, and the win. Joey lets us know that uh, this is Olympic wrestling history. And someone throws a can into the ring. (laughs) After that, Joey says his goodbyes as we fade to black. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Holiday Hell 1995? I would say that it is... 
not a must watch, but I feel like a super solid like road show. Like if people are from New York and they like ECW but never took time to drive down to Philly, they kind of gave them a little bit of everything done decently. But it feels like a pumped up house show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of how it came off to me. I'd agree with that. What was it, 12? Yeah. Yeah. Some but, of those aren't I mean, yeah, so. there's 12 matches, but like... It's really like nine. It's really like eight. Yeah, like I, I have eight on mine because like stuff would just like flow into each other. And I was like, I'm not going to take time to like write it down as a match or whatever but like they were tech they there was a pin so it was technically a match yeah well that being said you know even though there were technically less matches than what we have written down it just felt like a long show it was i mean it's probably the longest ecw show that we've watched maybe i was just more extreme than my brain was used to in one setting but it just seemed like it went way long yeah like i said i think it's great for New York fans, yeah. like I think that they gave them an ECW show, but it doesn't feel super no. necessary, and it kind of wears out as well. I mean, for the most part, I was having fun with this show, but it does drag in spots, especially like Eliminators Pitbulls. That match was crazy long, and I think that those guys, if they had a shorter match, it would be a better like, match. Like literally, you cut. I, I, I want to say it was like a 17, 18 minute match. Felt longer. Yeah, it felt longer. <laughs> you cut 10 minutes off that. Probably because number number two, no soul moves for like seven minutes. Five times. Yeah. Like, you we need, get it. He needs to, like, no sell, uh, like, you know, twice, take a move, like and one then big tag. No sell, one big move, hit a big move, make the hot tag move on with the match. It, it, it just, that one dragged. And then... And I like both those teams, but this is not their best outing. The last two matches, at by the time I got to the last two matches, I was just kind of like... Okay. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Let's just kind of... Buckle in. Finish this. I mean, and neither one of the matches are bad. I I, I was just tired yeah, I was, of I watching just, this show at that point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, like they're not bad. They're just not necessary, really. Yeah, I think that the work of like Taz shit talking Sabu, and then Cactus Jack going in there to be, be like, we're not gonna do an ECW match, blah blah blah. I feel like it was just to put Sabu over the moon, and I think that they did it. Sabu did a bunch of wild shit. I would think that might be my favorite match of the show, but I don't know that I would rush out to tell anybody no, to watch uh, this one or any even match specifically. I guess that would be the one. Probably. Yeah. If not the Mikey and two gold. Yeah. That was a fun match. Yeah. And then Sandman and Raven. It's like, well, I guess that like, yeah, maybe if the show was shorter, those three matches would have helped carry it. But Yep. It just... Went on too long. Yeah. There was, felt like there was more, like, character work. And, like, a lot of Stevie and a lot of, like, Stevie character work and whatnot. And it's like, oh, well, I think they're just giving that to the New York 
crowd because it seemed like even more than normal for a like two and a half hour ECW show. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? I just am a Sabu fan in general, so I just love watching him do wildly reckless shit recklessly. So I, I enjoyed uh, all of his uh, chair shenanigans. He uses the, the chair like a uh, young girl would use a ribbon in like ribbon dancing or whatever. <laughs> he just like, he's just setting them up and jumping off of them and putting them under his leg and under his elbow. And, uh, I, he, uh, they call the move the concerto, but Sabu, every time he's in the ring, creates a concerto. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, some of my favorite moments of this entire show are Stevie Richards yeah. and everything that he does. He does great. Stevie was great in this one. He's I, super funny. Like, just the small little things, like, are were, were what was making this show entertaining to me. And, like, what matches are he not, is he not involved in on this show? The Eliminators versus the Pitbulls. And, or, well, he's not involved in the Cactus Jack Sabu match, but that's a great match. But yeah. then also the, Rock, uh, the Public Enemy Gangsters match. Those are the two matches that like, like really dragged the show down for me. Yep. Were the two tag matches? Yeah. And they're the two matches that Stevie was not in. And we've uh, we've talked about it a lot. The ECW tag matches, like we think the Pitbulls have a lot of potential, and even the Eliminators have a lot of potential. But ECW tag matches a lot of the time just turn into a bunch of garbage, oh, and, and like we've seen a lot of it, and we're just not. It's not particularly our thing. So, I mean, when it's done well, it can be it can be good. Yeah, I'm not saying. But yeah. neither one of these were done. They're not special. Well, no, they're by no means uh, special. No. How many? Like, if anything, we can blame Ian and Axel Rotten for doing it forever for too long, and now we're just like, ah, oh. yeah. But I mean, if it wasn't them, it would have been somebody else. I'm sure. I enjoyed Taz. Yeah, Taz, his, his character towards cool. the audience is great. I think Taz setting up that, like, oh, Sabu fucking sucks, he's a pussy at the beginning of the show, and then Sabu coming out to just be full-on Sabu, I think was great, and uh, establishes Taz further a heel, and Sabu even further the uh, banana's ass baby face, with the help of Mick Foley. I mean, the Joey Styles uh, line with Missy Hyatt is, like, yeah, I said, yeah. <laughs> like I said earlier, maybe the best line ever. Yeah, about that. Yeah, most surprising for me would be uh, just Missy Hyatt showing up. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see you, Missy. Definitely wasn't expecting her. What about most disappointing? I mean, I, I, we've kind of talked yeah. the two tag matches to death a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah. We wish both of them. I mean, we all agree the Eliminators Pitbulls way too long. Yes. Gangsters and Public that might have actually been the shortest match those two teams have ever had together. Yeah. And I and like I said, I don't know if it was it's not a bad match. I at that point I was just kind of like I didn't want to see that. It didn't feel like it and was the, really built up to And the it ending all. of the match was not like that's a weird way for that kind of match to end with just a, a roll up. Yeah, like, I think it's just that the public enemy is still but you said that they're bleeding soon, so yeah, you just, know, they can get their ass beat on their way out. Get out already. 
How about best performer? I mean, it's Stevie for me. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say Stevie's the. Uh, if it's not Stevie, it's maybe one. Joey. Joey had some great lines in this. Yeah, so Joey was uh, on for a guy that's typically on. I mean, uh, I feel like Sabu. I'm. Uh, I'd put him up there just because. I feel like we haven't had full-on Sabu in a little while, and uh, he was all in. Yep. JT for selling his boner. <laughs> yes. That when, was he a, go, when he goes to the I, corner and... I was like, like, there's another moment that I'm thinking of, and I like could not think what it was. Really, is that the one you were thinking of? No, uh, just uh, when uh, I was thinking of best moments, I was like, there's something else that I'm like looking for, and I <laughs> could not think of what it was. But yes, the selling the boner was great. It was funny. And then Shane pointing out that uh, could JT no longer be Italian after he lands on his head? Very curious to find out. It's funny to think that they would... Because it's like a, him like jumping to the ropes or whatever and like botching it and then landing on his head. So it's like, well, is it planned? Is ECW <laughs> like that nuanced? <laughs> How about most surprising? We talked Missy Hyatt. Finding out Raven's music was... Yeah. The Offspring. <laughs> what a disappointment. What a bad song for him to come out to. He should be coming out to something heavy. Something Nirvana-ish. Yeah, or even like a like a deep Nine Inch Nails. Or yeah. uh, There's so many choices. He wears like a ministry t-shirt all the time. Come out to a ministry song. Like something either like industrial or grunge or metal. Something dark. And by, and you know, not Pearl Jam or Stone Temple Pilots. Something with a little bit more like menace. Cactus Jack being back. I didn't realize he was coming back. I thought he was going to be dropping up north any he's, day he's, now. He's still got a little bit of okay. time. time. Okay. I always, like, I'm never surprised when he shows up. Because he... But I don't know when he... Early 96 or something. It's the Raw after WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, okay. It's like halfway through next year. Episode 203. It won't be that far away. It's not that far. Yeah, yeah. How about the uh, ghost wrestler story that I told you? Oh, yeah, come on. I gotta look it up. I don't know. Like, I'm gonna just, like, YouTube FMW before I go to sleep and just to see if, if what exists, and then I'll, I'll uh, do the harder work later. But if it's up there, I'm gonna have to try to find those matches out of curiosity. To even just like see the gimmick. Yeah, I just want to see what I want to see what it what it even looks like. You were talking about like ashes shooting out of a guy's pants. Yeah, just like bleeding to death in the (laughs) ring, and like and like him like selling like slowly dying while being the belt holder. Like I just want to see what what it fucking looks like. It probably doesn't look good. Probably not. It's probably better in my head. Yeah, it it, it definitely feels like it's going to be one of those things that's so much better in my head than if I actually see it. But with the whole story, which I probably wouldn't get if I just, like, turned on FMW with no English commentary, because you know there's not. I could probably, uh, I, could, I can still appreciate the story, but I gotta see it. <laughs> and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Ric Flair had held the WWF Championship for over a month, but he would make his way to Canada for a house show where the country's homegrown superstar, Bret Hart, was waiting on October 12, 1992. Bret Hart, born 1957, was the eighth of 11 kids in the Hart wrestling family. He would help out at Stampede Wrestling as he grew up, 
and by 1976 was refereeing matches. Brett would make his official debut in 78 and would work there until the promotion was acquired by the WWF in 1984. Hart and Jim Neidhart would begin teaming as the Hart Foundation, going on to win the WWF Tag Team Championships a couple of times. In 91, the Hitman would break away to be a singles competitor, winning the Intercontinental Championship and the King of the Ring Tournament. In 1992, Brett would face Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 8, pinning him to become the Intercontinental Champion for a second time, and becoming the first wrestler in the WWF to ever pin Piper. Bret Hart would become known as the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be during his career. For his accomplishments, the Hitman has been inducted into the Professional Wrestling, Wrestler Observer Newsletter, and twice into the WWE Hall of Fame. Bret Hart would defend the title until the next WrestleMania, when he would square off with a man from the Orient. Roddy Piper... Bret Hart, WrestleMania 8, maybe one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. One of I think it's like one of the best WWF just matches in general. Bret, I mean, uh, Piper laying down for Hart, the the blood, the drama of it all is uh, incredible. It is not a what people would call a work rate match, but it is a great wrestling match. I think. And I think about it all the time. And the first wrestler in eight years in WWF. Pigeon. Yeah. Well, even more than eight years. That's just eight WrestleManias. Yeah, Piper's just... Yeah, that's pretty uh, impressive for Piper to do that for Bret Hart. But it's Bret Hart. And Piper Piper knew that it was worth laying down for him. You know, Bret, since he was a little kid. Next week... Dusty Finish Volume 3. History break. Yeah. So we'll put all those Dusty Finishes that we record every week. Yep. Mm -hmm. Put them all together. Yeah. It'll inspire you to go back and uh, watch some matches or watch some matches for the first time. Because you'll hear a thing. It happens to me every week when Matt reads it. uh, That I'm like, damn, I'd like to watch that again. Or it jogs my memory about a thing that... I typically enjoyed. Yeah. But music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss 65. 5 5. Yeah. By White Zombie. And Sabu won our main event, so we play his theme music, Little Fight, by Crazy. And if you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Not all shows are five stars. This show wasn't a five-star show. I mean, we did a great job. But, uh, you know, it wasn't a five-star ECW show. No, definitely not. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, drink ideas, uh, I'm sure we're going to end up back in Philly at some point down uh, in the near future. Oh, definitely. uh, Send me some ideas. Yeah. We're going to go to some new places in 96 once we get there. We're going to have a couple weeks with our branch out clip shows, the top stuff. But we'll hit 96 after that and we'll have some fun. But you can do all that stuff and send them to us on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. 
or find us on Twitter at Wrestling Histo X. That's Wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.